Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. I want to start with uh, a little bit of a quiz this morning. Uh, The thing I say first, if you uh, prefer that, raise your left hand. And the thing I say second, if you prefer that, raise your right hand. Okay? So, we're having dessert, chocolate or cheese? Chocolate or cheese? Oh, there's a few cheeses out there. But it's mostly chocolate. All right, we have to. You have you have to play. You have to play sport, and you only have two choices: cricket or footy. Cricket, left hand; footy, right hand. Oh, double up! Uh, all right, now I want you to think about uh, a relaxing holiday: beach or bush. Yeah, there we go. Lots of beaches. No, oh, there's a few bushes. Hesitation, one towards one. Uh, All right, I've got no more. You're safe now. Uh, We all have different preferences, don't we? Different things that we uh, uh, like more than other things. And, of course, uh, what we have here in the book of James, uh, as we come in a moment to uh, diving a little bit deeper into that, is... Uh, an encouragement for James for us to not let our preferences for things uh, and experiences flow on into our relationships with people. Of course, it's all too easy, isn't it, to uh, uh, have people who we prefer, who we favour over others in our treatment of them, especially uh, when we gather in a place like this, in a community like this of God's people. But as we'll see uh, in a moment, James is warning us that indeed, if we've understood the heart of God uh, and what it means to follow him, that this has no place in our lives. For those uh, who uh, missed last week, who are new or visiting, uh, we are doing this flyover of the book of James over the next, uh, uh, over five weeks, starting last week, uh, and we're... Uh, going through each of the chapters and and I'm just trying to draw out some of the the key ideas, uh, the big picture uh, of of each chapter uh, that will hopefully enable you in your own time next time you get up to the book of James in your reading or you might do it now because we're doing it in church uh, to dive in deep uh, and to get some of the wonderful nuggets that this book contains for us uh, but to do so in in context uh, uh, from having heard this sermon series. But of course, uh, in doing so, I'm also hoping that God's going to speak to us uh, and he's going to challenge us and he's going to change us uh, through his word. Last week, we started with chapter one uh, and we saw how uh, this book written by James is, is written to help us to have good relationships uh, with the people whom God has placed in our lives and to have not just good ones, but ones that honour God in the way that we relate. We see a little bit of that, uh, don't we, in this chapter today. 
but uh, before he gets to all of that in chapters 2 through to 5, chapter 1 was really, it had lots in it, but in broad terms, it was really a chapter about how uh, when we find ourselves in difficulty, which uh, for James uh, was the expectation for the Christian, that they were going to find themselves in trouble and uh, in suffering and persecution, uh, when we find ourselves like that, we, we need to trust God. For if we do, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, uh, we know that this produces perseverance, which produces maturity. That, that God actually uses suffering to grow our faith. But of course, in suffering, we have the, the flip side of that, which is the opportunity for sin, the temptation to walk away from God. And James says, don't do that, verses 14 and 15. Don't walk away from God. Don't give in to your sin, because instead of growing perseverance and maturity, you'll get sin which leads to death. Uh, And so then in the second half of chapter 1, James says, trust God. Then he says, the way to do that is to be a student of his word, to read God's word, to soak in it, uh, to look into it intently, uh, and then to do what it says. So verse 22, he says, don't just listen to the word, do what it says. And today... Uh, the first half of chapter 2 from verses 1 through to 13, we have a great uh, encouragement from the Word of God on how we ought to live. We also have, uh, in the second half of the chapter, uh, a really important explanation of what faith, true faith, is uh, and how what we do connects to who we are in Christ and our salvation. So that's what we're going to try and do uh, as we work our way through the book, this, uh, the chapter this morning. Now, I wonder uh, what you do when someone important or famous is around. Uh, since joining the military, I've found myself in situations where there are extremely important people around uh, more often than they used to be, like when I wasn't in the military. So, for example... Uh, Last year, I think Elisa and I had dinner with the governor like three times. Um, I don't think she remembers that we were there, but nonetheless, uh, it was a small room uh, and she was right there. And uh, in fact, one time uh, we kind of were trying to go to the toilet and we couldn't because the governor walked up and tried to talk to us and we couldn't kind of just say, excuse me, ma'am, I need to leave. Uh, and uh, every time this happens to me, I think, this is kind of cool. Like, how cool is this? I'm like, having dinner with the governor. This is, you know, woohoo. Uh, and uh, we all have reactions like that, don't we, when we're around someone who we think is important or famous or special for some reason because we think they're rich and they might give us stuff. I- I've, got a, I've got a well-to-do uncle. Uh, and I remember when I was a kid, I used to think it was very good when he would come to town at Christmas time because I'd get an excellent gift. Uh, uh, we have this kind of inbuilt response to people who are important or wealthy, don't we? And of course, we do the same when the opposite kind of person comes into our life. How often have you uh, gone to Melbourne for a shopping trip and kind of taken a wide berth around the seemingly endless uh, homeless men or women who sit on the streets there. We have a few in Hobart, but they just seem to be more prevalent, don't they, uh, in those bigger cities? How often have you found yourself feeling uncomfortable 
uh, when you've seen someone who looks like they haven't showered in a while, who looks like they might be a little down on their luck, and you think, maybe this person is a threat to me. Our natural human inclination is to show favouritism. And James says that this has no place in the life of a Christian, in particular in the life of a Christian as we gather together as God's people. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 1, don't show favouritism. And then he gives that great example of the, the rich man with the golden ring who gets a nice seat versus the homeless bum in filthy rags who we make sit on the floor. He says, listen, brothers and sisters... If you really keep the royal law, verse 8, found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James tells us that this kind of natural inclination that we have as, as sinful human beings has no place in our new lives as Christians who understand the royal law, the law that God has given us, that as we love him, we are also to love our neighbour as ourselves. We, that is, we are to extend the same grace God has extended to us, to others, regardless of circumstance. Unfortunately, I think we're not very good at this. Uh, I think particularly as Anglicans and uh, those who identify with that uh, part of history, we've got this kind of, I think, historical quirk that makes us kind of bad at this. We, you know, the, the, the head of our church is the Queen. Uh, and so uh, we're sort of connected by uh, all these kind of uh, weird historical quirks to to high society, high, you know, to, to high British society. And uh, I can't tell you the number of uh, church services I've been to where we've reserved seats for the governor uh, and uh, other types of people who have to go to these things because of this kind of weird historical connection we have to authority and power in our nation. But it doesn't seem to sit so well, does it, when we read the first half? Of James chapter 2. Of course, there were churches back in the day who indeed used to sell their pews. So uh, it was a way of paying for uh, the pews, I think, but you could buy a pew, and I assume uh, you could buy, there were better pews to buy than not. And I went once into a church in Melbourne uh, where they uh, had some, uh, you know, like wings like you'd have in a uh, when you go to the opera or whatever, and you could, if you had enough money, uh, you could buy your family into one of those things. Uh, and you think, man, it must have been an awkward Sunday when they got to the, re the, the, the lectionary told them to read out James chapter 2, uh, and old Mrs. So-and-so and Mr. So-and-so, who were rich, were sitting up in the special corner. Showing favouritism, particularly as the gathered community of Christ, has no place. And of course, it's easy to talk about historical things and all that sort of stuff, but what does it look like for us in this gathering, in this place? Well, I think there's a few things that we see uh, where we can be 
like, James, like that, that situation James describes from verse 2 uh, in our lives today. Perhaps there are people out there who think that they deserve special treatment because of the amount of money they have or the amount of money they give to the church. Perhaps uh, we find ourselves only speaking to people who are of similar age or stage or uh, seem to wear the right, the similar kind of clothes to us when we gather and we avoid those who look different to us or, or who seem different to us. There are all sorts of ways, aren't we, where we can show favouritism. And of course... This has no place. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. You can sum up this whole section as James saying, rich or poor, keep the royal law. Rich or poor, keep the royal law. You see, James is saying... It doesn't matter who you are. God's grace has been extended to you and you need to extend it to them. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how they look. I wonder as you reflect on the way we do life together as a church, if there are things that you think we ought to change that help us to do this better. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, about that but uh, people should feel welcomed as one of us when they gather in this place they should feel welcomed regardless of their circumstances they should feel honored that we've extended grace to them just as God has extended grace to us that is what it means to be Christian community and favoritism just cuts that to pieces doesn't it it's interesting as James kind of gives us those two key verses there in 8 and 9 telling us that this is what it's all about rich or poor keep the royal law Uh, that he finishes it off by saying if you show favoritism you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers and then verses 10 and 11 he talks about uh, how bad it is when you break the law so let me read verses 10 and 11 again for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. You see, as we're about to move into a section from verses 14 to the end of the chapter, that talks all about the relationship of uh, faith and works, we see before we get to that, James reminding us of the fact that works don't work for salvation. Because... Once we break one part of the law, we're a lawbreaker. We're stuffed. Do just one thing wrong, James says, out of all the laws. And I mean, you heard Mark read out a whole stack of them, and that's just one chapter of a massive book full of laws in Leviticus, not to mention the whole rest of the Old Testament. One of them, out of place, and you're a lawbreaker. You're condemned. But James goes on to say, but the good news is judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, the good news 
of the Christian faith, the reason that we shouldn't show favouritism is because God has been so merciful and gracious to us in sending his son to die for us that when we trust in him through faith, he forgives us our law-breaking. And then James moves on to talk about faith and works and how they relate together. If it is works that condemn us, it is also works that show us the true nature of our faith. Real faith ought to change our lives, James says. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And then he gives this horrible picture of uh, this Christian person, this supposedly Christian person in verses 15 and 17, who uh, knows that the person they're talking to has no clothes and no food and goes up to them and says, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, and then walks away from them and does nothing about their situation. He says this kind of faith is dead faith. It's not real. That kind of Christian that James talks about in verse 16 and he describes so vividly there is the kind of Christian I think that we see depicted in all sorts of movies and TV shows. In fact, every time a Christian almost seems to get onto TV, they're this kind of Christian. The hypocrite, the one who is uh, concerned only with external uh, niceties rather than actual doing of good. And the world hates this kind of Christian and sadly it seems it knows too many of them. James says that this kind of faith is no real faith at all. If faith is by itself, verse 17, and is not accompanied by action... It is dead. In fact, James goes a little bit further, really, doesn't he, in verse 19, and says, actually, this kind of faith, this workless faith, it's essentially demonic. I mean, he says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He says, if you have a faith that has no obedience to go along with it, if you're not reading God's word and doing what it says as a Christian because of your trust in what he's done for you in Jesus Christ, then you have no real faith at all. You have the same kind of faith, James says, as a demon. You know God's there, but it makes no difference to how you live. Real faith, saving faith, goes and is followed by works of obedience to who God is. Faith goes with deeds and James gives two examples doesn't he of Abraham and of Rahab uh, and of how their lives uh, were examples of people of faith and faith that was matched by action James says faith without action verse 26 is just as dead as the body without spirit faith goes with deeds I wonder how your faith is going. It's good that you've come to church today. That's a good sign of faith in action. But don't let it stop there. James says, and uh, throughout the book, time and time again, that the Christian faith is one that is concerned greatly with the least and the less well-off. What does it mean for us as a church in this part of Hobart 
that wants to claim a real faith to be actively engaged with the least, the lost and the less well off. It's very easy, isn't it, to hang out in Lindisfarne uh, with our friends in million dollar houses, uh, which strangely houses in Lindisfarne are worth now, crazy days, uh, and uh, enjoy their company uh, and enjoy the fact that we're all the same. But there are other parts of this parish, uh, of this side of the river, where God has called us, places where people can't leave their rooms or their beds without guards, uh, places uh, that are nowhere near costing a million dollars for houses, places that are full, in fact, of people who can't afford anywhere to live and the government's had to put them up. There are all sorts of places, aren't there, in our parish that true faith would compel us to think hard about how we're going to reach them, how we're going to demonstrate love to them. And, of course, we do some things at the moment. We've got the baskets down the front here and uh, we give some money to the Risdenvale Community Centre to try and help. But I wonder what else it is that God is calling us to. I'd love to hear what you think it is as you uh, spend time praying for our church and what it is God is calling us to. Because true faith models the life of Jesus. Let me read to you from uh, one scholar, Motia, as he reflects on this passage. The life of faith, then, is the life which respects the glory of Jesus, as we see in verse 1 of chapter 2. For in his obedience to God and his concern for needy sinners... Jesus emptied himself, humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. The life of faith is a life of obedience in particular to the royal law. Our obedience to the word of God seen in our concern for the needs of man. The life of faith is more than a private, long past transaction of the heart with God. It is the life of active consecration seen in the obedience which holds nothing back from God and the concern which holds nothing back from human need. True faith is marked by total obedience to God and absolute concern for our brothers and sisters who are in need. When I read chapter 2 of James, I find myself deeply challenged, convicted of the favouritism that lives not so uh, deep down in my heart. But I take heart from those words in verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, you and I are not perfect. You and I do fall short. You and I don't always obey the Lord Jesus. And thank goodness that mercy triumphs over judgment. What matters in this life is the direction we are headed. That we are earnestly seeking to respond to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ day by day. That we're seeking earnestly to obey him however imperfectly. And that when we find ourselves falling short... We run as we did at the start of this service to him in repentance and find mercy triumphing over judgment 
and his Holy Spirit empowering us to carry on. True faith is an obedient faith. So no matter who you are today, no matter how you've been going, commit yourself today to a God of mercy, a God who calls us to love our neighbour as ourselves, to extend the mercy he's extended to us, to others, to do that impartially just as he's done it to us impartially, and to seek to step out our lives in obedience to him, allowing him to transform us deeply. This is true faith. This is the faith that saves because it is real. It is a faith that produces fruit. It is a faith that causes us to do whatever it takes for the least and the lost and the less well off. May God continue to shape us to be the kind of church that James would write to and say, well done, well done for living out the royal law and being people of mercy, just as God is a God of mercy. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church, www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.